Hey, true crime listeners. I'm Kayla. And I'm Alicia, Kayla's mom. And you are listening to True Crime Exposed. Welcome back to our show. First off, go follow us on social media so that we can keep getting the word out there about this podcast and these cases that you and others may have never heard of. You can find us on TikTok and on Instagram at true crime underscore podcast. And if you're new here, we are so glad that you made it. You're in the right place if you are nerdy for true crime stories. I host this show. My mom is our co-host. And you should feel right at home with our casual storytelling. True Crime Exposed was created to expose the worst people that exist among us. Most of all, though, we want to give every victim's story exposure. We support the life of anyone who's taken from us unjustly. And that's why we are sharing these stories, to be victim advocates. So if you're with us, keep listening. We love being a voice for those that no longer have one and for getting stories out there that need to be heard. Are you ready for today's case? All right, well, I chose this case today because you know that lady you don't need to say her name I'm sure she doesn't want her name on here but you work with her right and she knows this guy that's actually the predator yes she knows him quite well he like babysat her kids and um I think went on a couple dates with her mom oh my gosh and didn't she say something like how he would always make weird comments like about Something that had to do with boobs when she, like, hugged him. Yeah. And she thought it was weird, but she, you know, just thought that's just how he was. And you and Shannon both work with her. That's how you kind of heard about this case, right? Yes. Well, we heard it on the news, and I think we were talking about it at work, and she was like, I know that guy. Oh, my gosh. That is so crazy and scary, That like, to be so close to someone who... Yeah creepy. Yeah, so creepy. So the story actually starts a long time ago. And on January 10th, 1974, a young woman who was 18 years old and her husband went to McDonald's in Jacksonville, North Carolina for a quick meal together, which like yum, obviously McDonald's isn't healthy or real food, but I think it's delish. So I completely understand going there for like a quick meal. Especially if you're newly married and 18, because at that point in life, we are usually all pretty broke. So they were eating here at McDonald's and the young woman tells her husband, I'm going to run to the bathroom real quick. I'll be right back. And as she walks towards the woman's bathroom, she has no idea that there was a man sitting nearby watching that bathroom door. This man had folded up some paper and stuffed it into the bathroom door lock, making sure to jam that lock. 
And then he sat down and waited. Waited until he saw this young wife walking straight into his trap. As he stepped into the bathroom, he followed her so close that she felt a chill go down her spine. Something was just off. And as she started trying to lock the door, she was confused because he made sure that door wouldn't lock. And as she struggled to lock the door for some privacy, he burst into the bathroom with a knife. And as he brought that cold blade right up to her neck, he held it against her skin and started to violate her. As she cried silently in fear for her life, he brutally raped her while her unknowing husband continued to eat at their table. Oh, in a McDonald's bathroom? Yes, just in the McDonald's that is bathroom. so disgusting. Isn't that so sad? Yes, that is... And her husband's right there. I know, it's so sad because she probably didn't want to scream or anything because she was scared. I always, I always think in that situation I would scream and try to run away, but who really knows if I'm faced with death. Right, like when there's a knife right up to your throat. I always think the same, like just run, scream, get help, but it's like, it'd be scary. So he put toilet paper in the lock of the women's bathroom? So a piece of paper, he folded it up and put it, jammed it into the door lock. It was just like a bathroom that anybody could use. Even if it was men and women, it was like, it must have been a one person bathroom where the door could lock. And then um, I'm assuming he put it like, I don't know, on the side of the lock where, you know, the bathroom door clicks in. Yeah. So... Seven days after this event that tore her world apart, police arrest Mark Douglas Burns for her rape on January 17, 1974. Mark was a 23-year-old Marine, and at the time he was stationed there in North Carolina at Camp Lejeune, I think that's how you say it, he was, of course, dishonorably discharged from the military. And I would imagine that his parents had to have been completely embarrassed by this. There isn't a lot of info out there on his family life, but he did describe himself as an army brat that moved around a lot growing up. So one of his parents have to be in the military and their son gets dishonorably discharged for this horrific crime. Coming to grips with that would be so hard. Yeah, it would be. It'd be disappointing. Definitely. His trial was set for very soon after, and just one month later, on February 28, 1974, he was convicted of the rape. The rape was premeditated, planned out, and vicious, so it did not take the jurors long to decide his fate. Only two hours and 15 minutes passed by before the verdict came back as guilty. On March 1, 1974, he was sentenced to death. This was a common sentence for a convicted rapist at the time in North Carolina. Wow. I know. Isn't that crazy? That's so hefty. Yeah. Yeah. Death. Yeah. It seems like rapists nowadays just get time and then they get out and then they reoffend. They reoffend so much and they just keep escalating usually. So the judge in this case stated, quote, Mark D. Burns is to inhale lethal gas of sufficient quantity to cause death, and the administration of said lethal gas must be continued until the said Mark D. Burns is dead, and may God have mercy on his soul, end quote. 
Mark was then sentenced to die on May 3rd, 1974. And that should have been the end. Well, that seemed kind of short. It was super short. So he he committed the crime in January. Seven days later, he was arrested for the crime. February 28th, he was convicted. And then in March, March 1st, he was sentenced to death. And then he was supposed to die by May 3rd. So it was all really fast. Yeah, less than a year. Mm-hmm. And it should have been the end. Mark's sentence should have been followed through, and that would be the end of a very tragic but short story. But the justice system isn't perfect, and too many times someone falls through their cracks, and in today's story, this someone is Mark Douglas Burns. Mark's attorney had filed many appeals after he was sentenced to death, and although they were all denied, they must have pushed his dance with death back each time they tried because Mark was still alive in 1975 when North Carolina passed a new bill vacating death sentences for rapists that committed a crime anytime after April 8th, 1974. But this law still should not have impacted Mark's death sentence because he committed his crime in January of 1974. His trial was in February. He was sentenced in March. All of this occurred before April 8th, 1974. But a judge decided to ignore the fact that Mark's case did not fit the criteria to be changed and reduced his death sentence to a resentencing of 25 to 30 years. Attorneys had tried hard to reach the victim, but she did not show up to court when Mark's death sentence was vacated. She would be around 64 years old today. And unfortunately, answers to why it was decided that Mark would no longer be on death row anymore are hard to come by because this case is 46 years old and the judges and attorneys involved have passed away. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. In one source, the judge's son, I think, or it was one of the attorney's son or the judge's son, I don't remember, but he read through a bunch of the stuff and... He said there really wasn't a reason. They they just kind of had come to an agreement, like the prosecutors and the defense attorneys came to an agreement that they would do a reduced sentence, and then the judge just agreed to that. I wonder how many other rapists were able to get out around that time. And if they went on to commit more crimes, if they escalated, if they stopped. I'm sure there's a lot of stories out there. And as we know today... Rape is not a crime that warrants the death penalty anymore. And I have very mixed feelings on the death penalty. Like, it's such a gray area. I don't want the wrongfully convicted people to end up dying. I don't really know if we should be the judge of who dies. But then at the same time, when someone totally deserves it, I'm like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Or like in cases where it could have prevented a monster, I'm, you know, okay with that. But hindsight's 2020 so how can you know yeah it's a hard subject because i i feel the same way i have mixed feelings on it yeah there's times where you can see it's wrong there's other times where it's like mm, kill him yeah <laughs> chris watts kill him who'd you say chris watts oh. that guy out of colorado mm-hmm. like he i don't think he has the death penalty but if he did i'd be okay with that In fact, I'd be happy. (laughs) 
I'd be okay with Lori Vallow and Chad Debo. Oh, for sure. And Idaho right now is going for the death penalty for Chad Daybell. Lori's court isn't set up yet. Her trial date isn't set, but they'll probably go for the death penalty for her as well. Probably. She'll probably claim insanity. Yeah, but Idaho doesn't have an insanity claim. So that's why her trial isn't set yet, because she is claiming to be insane. But since she cannot plea insane like she can't plea insanity she actually they actually just have to wait until she's competent enough to stand trial and then they'll set her trial so it basically postpones her trial oh my gosh i know but chad's going he he was supposed to go in november but he just waived his right to a speedy trial so we'll see so Fox 13 Salt Lake City reported that Mark was not a model prisoner. He actually fought with the other inmates and was even caught with marijuana once. But somehow he still got released on parole in 1990 after serving only 16 years. So he went from the death penalty to 25 to 30 years and then got released at 16 years. Oh, that- the system is so crazy. It really is. It, it's just, ugh, it's hard. After being released in North Carolina, Mark decided to move and move far away. He traveled to northern Utah where he was hired as a long haul truck driver at Smoot Brothers in Brigham City. Unfortunately, at this time, background checks were not a thing that were done. So with no knowledge of the sicko he really was, he was hired in the 1990s. Ken Smoot, the owner of this company, told Adam Herbert at Fox 13 News that Mark did not work for him long because he didn't like their roots. Mark expressed that he wanted roots that would take him north. So he went to another company down the road and continued working as a long-haul truck driver. Is it roots or routes? (laughs) Is it routes? I think it's routes. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've always said roots. Well, I think you can say it either way. (laughs) That's funny, but I think that does actually sound more right. Routes? Yeah. (laughs) Excuse me. That might be an Idaho thing. Excuse me, routes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. It's all right. Everyone can know I'm from Idaho. (laughs) So while he continued working, he committed many crimes through the years, sometimes on the route he worked, and he would become known as the Clearfield Rapist. But this rapist wasn't caught right away. No, the Clearfield Rapist was an unknown name and face who committed many crimes, turned cold cases where families were destroyed and left waiting decades for answers. Four of his rapes were committed near Clearfield, and that's why he got this nickname. But in reality, he spread terror throughout multiple cities and states. On June 10th, 1991, Mark was in Rock Springs, Wyoming. This is only one year after being released. Mark had violated his parole in North Carolina by going to Utah at all to be closer to his family that settled there. And so he needed to travel back to North Carolina to visit with his parole officer and explain what was going on. Mark told David Arambel of Sweetwater Now that, quote, 
I knew I was going back to prison for another year or two. So I decided to commit a rape. End quote. Wait, how did he know? Because he violated parole? Yeah, that's what he thought because he violated parole. And it's like, yep, yep, that's what you should do when you're going to prison. Commit more crimes. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, he's dumb. So on his way back to North Carolina to visit with this parole officer, he had stopped at a gas station on his way while passing through Wyoming. Here he saw an apartment complex nearby. So he left his car at the gas station and walked over to the complex. He would often target these apartment complexes because they had sliding glass doors that were left unlocked or could be easily manipulated to unlock. After scouring the complex for a way into someone's home, he gave up. There seemed to be no easy entry, and then he saw it. A house. A house with an open window. He creeped into this window and directly into the room of a sleeping 14-year-old girl. It's so sad. So he wakes her by holding his knife directly in front of her face so that she would be sure to see it as she opened her tired eyes. And he said, quote, if you do what I tell you, I won't hurt you, end quote. Tears flowed down her cheeks as he took her hands and taped them. He would make sure she could not fight him before he ultimately raped her and committed multiple other sexual assaults on her. Thankfully, DNA was obtained in this case. About a half hour after committing these brutal acts, he returned to his car and continued his drive to North Carolina to meet with his parole officer, as if nothing happened. As this young girl grew into a woman and had the opportunity to make a statement when Mark was caught several decades later, she said that this event has affected herself as well as generations of her family. Detective Tim Robinson would continue to work this case until long after it went cold. Mark must not have gone back to prison for violating parole because I can't find anywhere that he did go back to prison between his first sentence for the 1974 rape and when he was caught for his many other crimes later in his life. Then one year after that crime in May of 1992, he struck again. 11-year-old Nicole Ear was in her bedroom in Riverdale City, Utah, when an intruder walked into her room. Mark had gained entry into her family's apartment through a sliding glass door. He came into her room and held her at knife point. During this, one of her parents walked out into the main living space, flipping on a light in the kitchen. Nicole recalls hearing cupboards open and the fridge open. Terrified, she made no noise, but was sending silent pleas for help. On one hand, she was hoping that whoever was in the kitchen would check on her around the corner, come save her. But then on the other hand, his knife was firmly pressed against her neck, and she feared for her life if someone did come into her room. After the light was flipped off and they were once again alone in the darkness, a spooked Mark decides to kidnap Nicole and take her to his car parked just outside of the apartment complex. There, he raped her in the back seat. Nicole told the Salt Lake Tribune that, quote, There was so much pain, I didn't think my small body could handle it. End quote. 
Nicole is Mark's youngest known victim. That little girl bravely told her parents and she fought 28 years for her justice. Police were able to take a DNA sample from her clothing. For the next few years, Nicole had to keep being retested for HIV. And this was during a time when the AIDS virus was killing 90% of those who had it. When Nicole was 13, she believed the doctor was calling her with news that she had it. She was anxious and worried, and she was relieved to find out that she didn't. As a young preteen, Nicole now had two incidents where she thought she was going to die, and Mark Burns was the cause of both of these events in her life, although she didn't know at the time that her monster was Mark Burns. One year after that, in 1993, Mark committed a rape in Ogden, Utah. In 1994 and 1995, two more rapes in Clearfield City, Utah. In 1996, a rape in Laramie, Wyoming. In 1997, another rape in Layton, Utah. These known cases show that Mark was committing at least one violent rape every single year since he had been released in North Carolina back in 1990. Oh, geez, I wonder, did this guy have, was he married? Did it say anything like he had a family? It didn't say anything about him having a family or kids. Like, I think the family he moved here to be closer to was like his family, like his parents. Oh, okay. And then in Clearfield City, on July 29th, 2000, a woman was in her apartment when a man woke her out of her sleep. He whispered to her, don't say anything or I'm going to cut your throat. Scared and shaking, she complied as he blindfolded her before repeatedly raping her and then tying her wrists and ankles together before he slipped out into the night. When Mark is finally caught a couple decades after this incident, the woman states that she lived in constant fear for 19 years. One year after this, on May 22, 2001, another rape was committed in Clearfield. As Mark snuck into a bedroom, he was wearing a nylon stocking over his face as well as a pair of gloves. As he went to wake his victim, shining a flashlight in her face, he also woke her husband. He pointed a gun at the couple, and they were clearly startled and forced not to fight back, in fear for their lives. Mark tied up this woman's husband and blindfolded him before asking the woman who else was in the home. Finding out that her brother was there, as well as her 19-year-old daughter. Mark gathered the other two and brought them to the couple's bedroom where he tied everyone's wrists and ankles before raping and sexually assaulting both the woman and her daughter and making the other two family members watch. Oh my gosh. I know. Isn't that terrible? That is. Yeah, it's like sickening and so sad and I like can't even imagine the trauma of everybody in that family. Uh, um, so how many victims is this then? so far the 11-year-old and then we have the one in 2000 and then this one so this is five that we've gotten into detail of but then remember in between all these five there's one in 1993 one in 1994 1995 1996 1997 
So 10 total. And while this attack was taking place, the couple's son actually returned home after a shift at work. So as he entered the home, Mark pulled a gun on him and he brought him into the bedroom to be tied up as well. He was then forced to watch the horrifying events. As Mark was getting ready to leave, he demanded that this family also give him money. And then just like that, he was gone. And this family was left in silence to face the tragedy that just changed all their lives forever. Oh, that would be so devastating. The husband was a husband and a father. The brother's a brother and an uncle. And like they they couldn't do anything. It would just be really, really sad. Yep. They should have put him to death. Uh, Definitely. (laughs) So years go by. There's no answers, no suspects, nothing. But in 2003, the Davis County attorney decided to charge a John Doe with felonies due to the assaults in Clearfield, the 2001 and the 2001 one. Clearly, they still did not know at the time who this was, but because they had DNA, they were hopeful that they would be able to connect the man who committed these crimes to these charges. But years would pass, leaving victims questioning everyone they came into contact with, looking over their shoulder, carrying this heavy burden of what had happened to them. Seven years after the charges were brought against an unknown man, DNA was able to connect multiple cases together in 2010. But so oh, I was just going to ask that. Yeah. If the, all the DNA that they gathered were was the same yep so in 2010 although they still didn't match to the perpetrator they matched a bunch of the cases together yes and devastation was felt across police forces as they slowly crept closer to these answers but at every turn they had no name so then we go another five years and in 2015 DNA that was entered into CODIS linked nine of the cases to the same offender. And with this, several law enforcement got involved across Utah and Wyoming, and they created this task force where they could all work on finding this offender together. And then Cold Justice, that TV series I talked about, got involved and also became a part of the task force. As time went on, technology advancements got even better. In fact, they became incredible. And one of the most amazing ways to solve cold cases was used. Genetic genealogy. This is the same technology and work that we talked about in our coverage on the Angie Dodge case, where Christopher Tapp was the first man to be exonerated in the United States due to genetic genealogy. It's the same tech that was used to find the Golden State Killer, the first public arrest due to genetic genealogy, Joseph D'Angelo arrested at 74 years old. This stuff and these people doing the work are outstanding. I am literally obsessed with this and the way that it is changing the game of cold cases and finding criminals that thought they got away with it. It's so cool. Yeah, it's like the best ever. I love that they can tie this DNA to like a very distant relative and work their way to who exactly it was. Yeah, it's really neat. 
it's come a long way. It really has. So genetic genealogist Barbara Ray Venter was the one who was able to connect the DNA found in the cases they had already connected to a relative of Mark Douglas Burns. This relative led Barbara and the investigators to Mark's half-brother, eventually leading them to Mark, who they were told lived in Ogden, Utah, and was still working as a long-haul trucker. So, police find Mark, and they start to do some surveillance on him. They're watching him in his Ogden home. After police saw Mark take out his trash, they discreetly collected multiple items, including water bottles, beer bottles, soda cans, and a paper towel with a red stain. So, maybe it's his blood on this paper towel? Yeah. They send these items off to see if they could get any DNA from their collection, and they were able to. Once his DNA was collected, they sent it off to see if his DNA ended up matching the DNA they had from the Clearfield rapes. And finally, they had him. In fact, they ended up matching his DNA to all three rape victims from the 2000 Clearfield case and the 2001 attack on that family. After decades of searching for this man, on September 15, 2019, Mark Douglas Burns was arrested in his home. Adam Herbitz of Fox 13 reports the story. Police come to Mark's front door telling him, quote, We need to take you up to the office with us. We have some questions for you. Another investigator wants to talk to you. End quote. And then he acts all shocked saying, quote, about what? You're going to handcuff me? What is this about? End quote. While in custody, Mark ends up confessing to 10 cases, which totaled 11 rape victims. His victims ranged in age from 11 years old to 52 years old. These rapes occurred for 10 years from 1991 to 2001. Multiple victims reported that they were bound and that their sexual assaults were repeated over and over during an extended period of time. He smelled just straight up gross as his breath that reeked of alcohol fogged around their faces. Mark always used a gun or a knife to terrify his victims into complying. He would threaten to slit their throat and forcefully made them perform different sex acts. He explains himself as a sexual deviant and a serial killer. Oh, no. A serial killer? Yeah, like, like, wait, what? So, yeah, Mark is not only a sexual predator, he is a murderer. After he was caught for the rapes, he ended up writing to the FBI and admitting to a murder. In 2001... The same year that Mark attacked the family in Clearfield, he also murdered 28-year-old Sue Ellen Higgins. That summer of 2001, he was in Eviston, Wyoming at some point when he claims he got bored with the rapes and wanted to try out an armed robbery. Which, like, no, I have a hard time believing this. You don't go from raping multiple women and girls to just wanting to rob someone. <laughs> I feel like this was meant to either be a sexual crime or he went in knowing he wanted to murder, escalating from the rapes. Yeah, so what? It 
started out as a robbery? He claims it was only a robbery. He got bored with raping girls. So he wanted to try an armed robbery instead. But then found a girl? No, he he saw her pull into her driveway and he just wanted to rob her. Oh. Yeah. Like, mm, no. But this is how he claims it went down. So he goes to Sue's home, which he found in Red in the Red Mountain area. And he simply knocks on her door, like I said, after he watched her pull into her driveway. When Sue answers the door, he's like, hi, I'm with the Chamber of Commerce. And then he goes on to explain why he is there and then gets to a point where he needs a pen. Like, oh, oh, no, it looks like I lost my pen. Do you happen to have one inside? Sue tells him it's no problem. She's sure she has a pen inside her home. Come on in. As Mark shuts the door behind him, he pulls a gun on Sue and tells her that he is here to rob her and she needs to sit down. As her heart raced, knowing her two-year-old son was at home and she must protect him, Sue grabs the phone next to her and says that she's calling the police. And then boom, before she knows it, a bullet pierces her head. Mark had shot her and then he walked up and shot her again to make sure she was dead. He starts rummaging through her things and takes what he can. Money, credit cards, checkbooks, and even her camera. Once Mark is caught and confessing to these crimes, he claims he never meant to hurt Sue. In fact, he just, quote, reacted badly and, quote, it was a total mistake, totally my bad, end quote. Like, hmm... That's one way to put it, but really, you're just a monster. And we've heard that excuse many times before from other people. Yeah, so that was that was one person, but he said he was a serial murderer. Yes, he does. So there's more? There is more. Uh. Sue, at the time of her murder, was a young mother. And her poor husband found her on the floor when he returned home from work. Their two-year-old was found playing in the backyard. And that, like, breaks my heart. He was just there with his mom all day while she was dead. Neighbors reported seeing a man in a dark suit next to a sedan. But none of this led to any discoveries in the case. So then four years after the murder, in 2005, Sue's husband, Sean Higgins, was in Aztec, New Mexico. He had moved there to escape that pain left back in Wyoming. And while he was here, he was arrested for Sue's murder. And he spent an entire year being accused of the horrific death of his wife before March 2006, when prosecutor Mike Greer cited, quote, irregularities in forensic science evidence analysis and other evidence, end quote and decided with this to drop the case completely. He had spent $70,000 in legal fees. Oh, I'd be so angry. I know. Can you imagine, like, going just through the grief of losing your wife and in that horrific way and then... Getting blamed. You get arrested. I just... That would be so hard. Mark stated that Sue was the only woman he had ever killed and that the other two he killed were men. 
David Ambrell of Sweetwater Now reports that one of the murders was actually a man posing as a female hitchhiker. This man offered Mark a sexual favor in trade for a ride to Phoenix. As Mark explains this murder to Judge Lavery, who presided over his case in Laramie, Wyoming, he talked about how, quote, that one had it coming, end quote. Um, no, (laughs) no one has murder coming for them. He had no remorse whatsoever. No, like that one he hated. Like, he hated the fact that this was a guy posing as a woman. But no one deserves for some random dude to decide if they get to continue to their life or not. Yeah. Right now, there's not any info shared by police on these two other cases as they are still investigating them and will hopefully be bringing charges in the future. He claims that these two other murders were men like i said and one was in arizona that phoenix one we just talked about and the other apparently is in oregon yeah his arrest i guess was uh, pretty recent yes very recent so mark was charged with the 10 rape cases and the murder of sue higgins originally he pleaded not guilty to the rapes he was charged with he was first charged in utah where he was charged with 17 different charges such as sexual assault, kidnapping, burglary, and more. Attorneys, judges, and everyone went to court expecting to start his trial, but he then surprised them by deciding to ultimately plead guilty that day in February of 2020. So it ended up being a short day and his sentencing was scheduled for April 6, 2020. Nicole, the girl who was 11 when Mark raped her, came to court for his sentencing. She is now a grown woman and posed outside the courthouse, holding a photo of her parents with her just before she was traumatized by Mark's horrific actions. The DNA that investigators had found on her clothes actually got lost for a short time. Which, like, how does that even happen? Let's have enough protocols in place that we aren't losing evidence, especially DNA. So they did they end up finding like it? they lost her entire rape kit. They do end up finding it. But like, how do you just lose a whole <laughs> rape kit? Who knows? <sighs> so Nicole said, quote, none of us survivors have to look over our shoulder to wonder where he is. What is he doing? Is he behind me at the grocery store? He's never going to haunt us again, and that is a wonderful thing. I just cannot believe how lucky he's been, and I think it's about time that his luck ran out. End quote. Jeez, can you imagine living in that fear? No. Like, someone comes into your home, I don't think I would ever be the same. I'm already scared. And not and not getting caught. Yeah. For all those years. And they're just out there. They know where you live. They know where you sleep. I'd like never sleep again. Yeah, that would just be terrifying. It really would be. 
And unfortunately, the statute of limitation on Nicole's case, as well as several other ones, had actually timed out under an old Utah law. However, the 17 felonies that he was charged with that tied to the more recent Clearfield attacks still felt like justice to Nicole because Mark was going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Ugh. He should have got the death penalty. (laughs) I know he should have received his original sentence from 1974. Mm -hmm. It was Judge John Morris that sentenced Mark to 242 years in prison because his crimes were heinous. He received consecutive sentences of the 16 years to life for each count of aggravated assault. And there were eight that he was charged with as well as six counts for aggravated sexual assault. He got more sentences of lesser time, six years to life for aggravated burglary and aggravated robbery. Many of his victims gave impact statements. A victim that is identified in reports anonymously as Jane Doe says, quote, He robbed me of my virginity, safety, and sleep since that traumatic night. I have never slept through the night, ever not once for nearly 20 years. The bravest thing I ever did was continuing my life when I wanted to die. He gave me a life sentence, but he himself was free to live his life, end quote. (sighs) It's sad because it affects those victims for the rest of their lives. Yeah, like they'll never be the same. They'll never get over that. So the victim from the 2000 Clearfield case stated, quote, Let him be in prison for the rest of his life. He had his freedom for the last two decades. Let's end his freedom here and now. And in fact, Mark had his freedom for much longer than even two decades. It was almost three decades since he was released in 1990 and raped a 14-year-old in Wyoming in 1991. Mark's trial was during travel bans due to the COVID-19 pandemic, so sadly, most of his victims were not able to attend. Instead, they wrote powerful letters to the court. Mark was sitting inside Davis County Jail when he joined a video chat into his trial, which you live in Davis County, right? Yeah. Crazy. I've, yeah. He lived right there by you, by you and where you worked in Ogden or where you were. Yeah. The, yeah, the Davis County Jail is like right in Farmington. Really? So like just a few minutes away. Yeah. (sighs) Five minutes away. Well, that's where he was when he went to trial. His face turned bright red as he made his own statement. Quote. I have not committed a crime since 2002. My mind started feeling differently than it ever had. I started feeling emotions I have never felt before. I started feeling guilt, shame, remorse. It makes me sick to my stomach. I find it hard to believe that I was ever capable of doing that kind of crap to anybody. I just want my victims to know when I tell them I'm sorry, I mean it. I realize that saying I'm sorry doesn't fix what I did. Pleading guilty and going to prison doesn't fix what I did, but it's all I can do for them. I would ask the court to show me no mercy because I deserve none. End quote. 
And I guess he sounded remorseful and emotional when he gave his statement, but like funny, not funny that he is acting like he did this for them. Like pleading guilty and going to prison is all I can do for them. Like as if he chose to get arrested and was choosing to go to prison for them. Nope. <laughs> yeah. You, you'll, you'd have to anyways. Yeah. Whether you pled guilty or not, Mark, you're going to prison. Like the DNA matched you. Yeah. It's just like, don't act like you're doing this for them. You're doing, you're saying sorry because you got caught. It's reported by the Salt Lake Tribune that one of his victims talked about how his apology didn't mean much because if he was really remorseful, he would have turned himself in years ago. And I agree. You're remorseful because you got caught, because you are exposed, not because you felt so guilty that you couldn't live with it anymore. Nicole explained Mark in her statement by calling him a faceless shadow. She felt this weight lifted off of her to finally put a face on that shadow. The DNA that investigators lost in Nicole's case at one point was eventually found and was connected to the other victims thanks to that show called Justice. Nicole finished by saying, quote, I want Burns to remember that you told me not to bother to tell anyone. You would never be caught. I did it anyways because I am stronger than you. It may have taken 28 years, but we are here today. You were wrong. End quote. And I love that. Like, yeah, you are strong. I'm so glad that genetic genealogy was able to find this guy. I know. Otherwise, I, he probably wouldn't have been caught. And that's just so sad and scary to think about. There are so many out there that don't get caught, especially in sexual assaults because I mean when they were doing all this work and putting all in all this effort they didn't even know that he murdered anyone that came after he was arrested for the rapes yeah so like when you think of sexual assault cases a lot of people get away with it uh-huh a ton so then on February 17th 2021 Mark Burns was sentenced to another 206 to 230 years for the sexual assault on a girl in Laramie, Wyoming. In this case, he was charged with four counts of sexual assault in the first degree, one count of burglary, and one count of kidnapping, confinement. He pled guilty to all charges. Joel Sr., who had been working on this cold case for many years, had joined that task force and traveled to Utah many times for evidence collection and for the arrest of Mark Burns a couple years earlier. And of course, a couple months before the Laramie charges were tried, Mark pleaded guilty and was sentenced to the murder of Sue Ellen Higgins, two decades after her murder. Adam Herbitz tweeted Mark's statement, quote, I would like to say to the friends and family of Mrs. Higgins that I am sorry. My confessing to this crime does not fix what I did. Nothing ever could. End quote. After being sentenced to life in prison, he was also ordered to pay 7200 of restitution to Higgins' family. While being sentenced for Sue's murder, Mark says that as he was leaving, he noticed she was slumping down in her chair. So he moved her to the floor, stating, quote, For some reason, I just felt bad about her falling on her face, so I moved her to the floor. End quote. Oh, wow. Well, oh. thank you. 
Yep. Very nice of you. Yes. After you killed her. When sentencing him, Judge Joseph Blumel said, quote, You took a daughter away from her parents. You took a sister away from a number of siblings. And you also specifically took away a twin sister. You took away a wife to her husband, Mr. Higgins. You took away a mother to the child, Tate. You took away a friend to many people. End quote. Mark is more than 70 years old right now in 2021, so he received this life sentence that will run consecutively with his sentences in Utah. He will actually die before his sentence in Utah ever ends, so he is expected to live the rest of his life in the prison in Utah. Investigators are still encouraging other people who feel like they could have been potential victims to come forward, and they are hoping other departments in the West will enter DNA into CODIS from cold cases or rape kits. Like I stated earlier, those cases in Arizona and Oregon are under investigation. Mark has not been charged in them, although he admitted to these murders. And the investigators are keeping details quiet as they investigate. Hopefully, one day he will be charged with these crimes as well. But victims and families of the victims can rest easier knowing that Mark will never live another day of his life outside his new cage called prison. Mark is a scary serial predator that beat the system. This happens all too often when people who are not or cannot be rehabilitated slip through the cracks. The justice system is imperfect, and unfortunately, more people pay the price for the ones who get away without the detection of the true monster that they are. I personally think these are just a few of Mark's victims. He describes himself as a serial killer, a sexual deviant. That doesn't just all stop one day. He never committed a crime from 2002 to 2019. I find that so hard to believe. The Clearfield, Utah police have said that because of the heinous nature of Mark's crimes, they don't believe that he stopped in 2001 either. Quote, Because of the grievous and brutal nature of these crimes, detectives believe there are more victims and do not believe Mr. Burns suddenly stopped committing such heinous crimes since 2001. And these victims today are only the known victims of Mark Douglas Burns. And although he claims he has admitted to every crime he ever committed, I just simply don't trust a rapist or a murderer. I am so happy that genetic genealogy saved the day yet again and handed a man his justice after being free for decades to walk among the people that he destroyed. for you a palate cleanser because I I just uh, 
excited. I did a performance today at my violin teach, te teacher's house, and I decided I wanted to play it with you. So right now, I'm just going to set it up and open it, then play it for you guys. Okay, I'm playing for you starting right now. There's just a little part of Twinkle Twinkle that I had to show you. This is my palate cleanser of my violin, but I want to show you something else that I'm going to make up. I can, I can do a handstand into a bridge and a cartwheel into a forward roll. Bye! If you enjoyed our show today, please share this story with your friends and onto your own social media so that we can start spreading the word. We would love it if you help us continue to make this podcast by leaving us a five-star written review on Apple Podcasts. If you do that, I will love you forever. If you have any case suggestions, please email them to us at truecrimeexposed at gmail.com. Also email anything where you have stories yourself or if you're connected to a case and you want to talk about it and get that case out there, email us with inquiries so we can get you featured on our podcast. Email us any creepy, crazy story that you've ever had happen to you. Once we get enough stories, we'll start doing a segment where we share stories of our listeners, crazy things that have happened or questions that we can answer for you guys. Follow us on social media for pictures and information on each case that we cover on Instagram and TikTok at true crime underscore podcast or on Twitter at true crime underscore pod. This podcast is written, hosted and edited by me, Kayla Waters. It's co-hosted by my mom, Alicia Jenkins. My daughter, Charlie Waters, gives us our palate cleanser each week. And our original graphic art was done by Arthur Max. Our music was created by Jaden Schultz, and you can find him on Instagram at InPajamasMusic. Stick around and get organization info on ways that you can get involved in doing your part to fight this kind of crime. Okay, guys, so if you visit raperecoverycenter.org, you're going to find an amazing site that is a nonprofit and they are advocates for victims. Um, on there, you'll find Utah's 24 hour sexual violence helpline, which is 1 888 421 1100. You can click a donate now button and show your support today. Um, they are obviously helping people recover when they are victims of sexual violence. And you can also sign up for a newsletter. They say, join us in paving the path from victim to survivor of sexual violence. Sexual violence impacts all facets of our community. Your support will expand the capacity to ensure that all victims receive the assistance and support that they need. Together, we can create a path to healing and foster a healthy community in which our families can grow and flourish. 
Another organization I found is called RAIN, R-A-I-N-N. You can support survivors by contributing to RAIN today. Go to donate.rain, R-A-I-N-N, dot org. There is a donate now button where they make it super easy to donate if you go straight to that website. And RAIN stands for the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network. It's the largest anti-sexual violence organization in this country. The organization provides resources and support for sexual assault survivors, including a 24-7 live chat and hotline. 